Welcome to the People You Will Meet podcast, where we tell the stories of the people I have met on my journey through TJC. I'm your host, Isaac Belota. In each episode, I will sit down with someone I have met at TJC and through a long-form interview, let them tell their experiences and what made them who they are today. The People You Will Meet is a production of thedrumbeat.com. All views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily reflected of those of the Drumbeat or TJC. If you've asked me for the top three names of professors who have had a positive impact on my time at TJC, they would be Wiley, McDonald, and high above the rest, Derek Gray. If you asked any one of the mass communications classes, the first two names may change, but the last remains the same. Derek Gray is the most straightforward, helpful professor you could have. He loves what he does, and he wants you to love it just as much. He loves the band live, Golden Girls, cringe comedy, and his family coming second to his love of off-brand sodas. He has given the tools and knowledge needed in the communications field to countless students. He is here today to spread a little bit of knowledge on the field and on himself. Well, thank you. That was a very flattering uh, introduction. (laughs) Well, I can try to do that so people talk, you know. Okay. (laughs) They're more inclined. So, uh... I thought, you know, today, because you have history and radio, TV, everything, we could go through that to when uh, you started working here mm-hmm. and then maybe go to uh, what you're looking forward to, forward to in the future and uh, just your views on media and stuff in general. Okay. So, yeah. So how did you get your start in uh, mass communications? Well, I was 16 years old and uh, had just gotten my first job at a McDonald's, <laughs> and I was actually involved in a organization in high school called Business Professionals of America (BPA). And my BPA advisor uh, um, contacted me and said, "Hey, um, you know, there's a job opening at the radio station. I think you'd be good for it." And so uh, it was mostly, uh, you know, doing tech stuff. Yeah. Um, because that's what I competed in with uh, BPA. Um, and so uh, I applied for the job at the radio station and got it and then um, ceased working at the McDonald's <laughs> immediately. I think I worked at McDonald's for two weeks. So yeah. I have uh, I have extensive background in, in uh, fast food. No, yeah. I have two weeks of experience <laughs> in fast food. Um, but yeah, my basically... Still put it on the resume, though. Right? <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's, it, it is on my resume. I... Um, so basically, this is all I've ever done. Yeah. Um, I, there was a very, very brief time, because I guess I was out of my mind, that in college I worked at the radio station and Radio Shack, because <laughs> Radio Shack uh, paid commission, yeah. and I just wanted money. And so I was going to college and working two jobs. Two that jobs. was That was a little bit much. Realized yeah. I couldn't do that. So. How, how much money did you make it in radio? Just wondering. Because I know it's not much if you're just an announcer or something. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I started out um, just as a board operator. Yeah. So I was just basically running commercials during games. Um, small market radio station, um, the only radio station in town. And so we did a little bit of everything. We, we did music. But we did news, weather, and sports, um, and and so um, some of that sports would be um, you know network or syndicated uh, mm-hmm. stuff 
from you know ABC uh, radio networks, CBS radio networks, Texas State Network, um, but we also did a lot of uh, local um, sports. So, so I started off just doing that basic board op work. Um, eventually, very quickly moved up into doing um, other producing work and engineering work, um, and um, and being on air, um, and. Um, along with that, um, also doing reporting and everything. So, yeah. I mean, I kind of got a basis for everything I would do. I, I mean, it sounds kind of like a utility knife station anyway. Really? <laughs> yeah. Just... And, you know, turnover, you know, people would leave and all of a sudden it'd be like, you know, all of a sudden I'm like the senior person there. And it's like, what? Yeah. I'm 17 years old. <laughs> and <laughs> so You're the only one who knows how to run everything. <laughs> so... Um, but it was a great experience. I mean, it just opened up so many doors to me. But, I mean, I started out there making um, minimum wage. Um, and, you know, I think um, when I left, I was making for on-air. Imp- I actually got two different hourly rates. I got one hourly rate for doing on-air and producing type work. Yeah. Um, and then another rate for when I was doing broadcast engineering. When I talk about broadcast engineering, I'm talk, talking about wiring or repairing equipment, yeah. things like that. So I got, I believe, I was getting like 9 or $10 an hour for on-air work. I, I want to say it was 10 but it might have been 9 And then for engineering work, I was getting $15 an hour. Yeah. So this is the year 2000, uh, when I left, would have been 2000. Four. Yeah. So I worked there from 2000 to 2004. So then was that on to college or was that when you went into television? Well, um, so I started at the radio station and I was in high school. Um, and so uh, I worked in uh, at the station the rest of my high school um, tenure. Um, actually, on my senior year, I was on the work release, whatever they call that program, where you yeah. only go to ha- school half the half day and the then day. you go, go to work. Yeah. So I did that. And then as soon as I graduated high school, um, fortunately, because I was on the radio station, um, the uh, department chair of the speech department in Car- at, at, the, at Panola College, which is in Carthage, Texas, um, contacted me and asked me if I wanted to be on the speech team. And he would give me a scholarship. And I said, most definitely. Yeah. And so um, had my first two years of school paid for. And so went there to Panola College and continued working at the radio station. Um, then when I graduated from Panola with my associate's degree, that's when I left and, and transferred um, to Texas A&M Commerce. Um, I went there because I had a, uh, I got a scholarship there. Um, from being in Phi Theta Kappa. So back then they were giving pretty decent Phi Theta Kappa scholarships. So went to commerce and um, graduated with my bachelor's degree in radio TV communication in December of 2005. Um, I actually graduated a semester early. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> um, I look back now and it's like, I could have stayed for another semester. Why did I do that? But yeah. I graduated December of 2005 and Walked the stage on Saturday and walked in my job in television on Monday. Um, my first job in TV was in Sherman, Texas at KXII, CBS affiliate, Channel 12. Um, really tiny TV station. Another great learning experience. Yeah. What was your job there? I started as a news editor. So I was in the newsroom. Yeah. Not a on-air personality? No. Yeah. 
not in uh, not in television. <laughs> I really ha- never had a desire to do on air in television. I just it wasn't. Um, yeah. It never appealed to me. Didn't want everybody staring at you. Yeah, I didn't think I was attractive <laughs> enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I you know. I always figured I would probably end up. That's that's your main problem, your self <laughs> self esteem. <laughs> yeah, I think my um, you know my goal at least back then was to probably go into station management someday. Yeah, and I knew most people in station management don't come from uh, news or on air, yeah. and so I figured I'd work in news for a little while and then eventually jump over to advertising, um, and because that's kind of the route that a lot of folks in management take. So, um, did you ever jump over to advertising? I very quickly jumped over to advertising. <laughs> <laughs> Want to go where the money's at, right? Uh, money better. Money's better, and the hours are a lot better. Oh yeah. So you have normal hours. You're you not, don't you know, work getting till up two at, in the morning one yes, day, and then exactly you're working a normal nine to five schedule like yeah. regular people do. Not you know, up at three o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning or anything yeah. like that. Uh, so from that station, where did you go to? So after KXII, I came here to Tyler. I was hired as the marketing director at KTK, the Fox affiliate, or sorry, the NBC affiliate, but they also own the they Fox, also affiliate, uh, Fox 51, KFXK. Uh, so I was the marketing director for both of those stations and I was there for a while. Um, um, and then, uh, KLTV came knocking and they offered me a job over at KLTV um, also in um, marketing and advertising, and so ended up moving over uh, to KLTV. Now, I, too, have worked at all three of those stations. Uh, I have washed the windows. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one of them. Which one do you like the best? Uh, Which one's the easiest? Easiest one is definitely the uh, Fox and NBC affiliate. Uh, in terms of interesting layout, I'd have to give it to... Uh, uh, What's the other ones? KLTV. Yeah, KLTV. CBS 19. Yeah, it's just kind of, you got stairways that go up and down and kind of nowhere, so Mm -hmm. it makes it interesting. The KLTV (laughs) building is great because it's an old bank building. Yeah. Um, I noticed there was some vaults, so I was mm -hmm. wondering what that was about. Yeah, there's there's vaults. They're um, just trying to preserve some records for the future of humanity. And th- yeah, those are just <laughs> left over from uh, the when it was a, an old bank building. As a matter of fact, like probably the safest place to be um, in a tornado is in the basement of KLTV. There is a there's a, a, a safe in the basement. Oh yeah. And that has to be the safest place in East Texas if there's a tornado. I it's just kind of like uh, ever see that episode of The Twilight Zone where it's the guy who just wants to read all the time. I have not seen that. Episode. And he's down in the bank vault, and then a nuclear holocaust happens. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's in the safest place possible. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that building's really cool. And the studio is actually um, where the, the bank lobby was. Oh, really? So, yeah. Um, on one of the walls, um, actually, uh, you can, if they're still there, I don't know if they're still there, but they actually have the little um, files that you can slide out. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's the the mechanism, whatever the file drawers that you can slide out where they used to keep account kind of information. The, oh, okay. I was thinking more like safe deposit boxes. No, it's just yeah, it's just like inter- uh, like file information. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean the files aren't there, but you can slide out these things that could hold files. Could hold files. So <laughs> if we wanted to, yeah, we could. If we ever wanted to have it as a bank again, and you wanted to go analog, yeah. <laughs> so uh, 
during during this time where did you also start working here or how did how did that come about was it just kind of you were known in the industry so they reached out to you or well um actually while i was at kltv i decided to i'd always planned on going and getting a master's degree somewhere someday it was just kind of a a goal of mine and so while i was at kltv um i started working on a master's degree at ut tyler um and i was there for a little while just going as a part-time uh student and then um i started realizing you know what I might actually want to teach with this master's degree. So I actually left my job at KLTV and took a job as a GTA graduate teaching assistant at UT Tyler, which is like, you know, pays absolutely no money. Yeah. So I went from a full-time job to a little Were part. Were you married at that time? I was married. <laughs> What'd you think of that? <laughs> well, the great thing was my wife was all for it. And, oh, well, uh, that's good. She, she was willing to uh, support me. And so, yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I went and... Uh, Um, my, my income was so low that it was basically like our movie income. (laughs) (laughs) So we would, uh, so I would, I was teaching there at UT Tyler as a teaching assistant, getting my experience. And, um, and then as soon as I graduated, um, the job came open here, here at TJC. And so I applied for it and, uh, got hired and I've been full-time here ever since. When did you start here? Would have been in 2013. 2013. Yes, I believe fall 2013. Yeah. If I'm incorrect on that, I apologize, but I think I'm right. So for any students wanting to go into radio or television, what what advice do you have for them? Well, uh, one thing is I would say internships are very important, uh, both in terms of networking and um, helping to build your portfolio. Um Note that the broadcast business has changed significantly. I mean, since I started in it, um, you know, the the emphasis is now on on digital products. Um, you're not just producing stuff to go on a five, six, and ten newscast like we were back in the day. You know, you need to turn turn around things much quicker and get them on the web much quicker than we did in the olden days. So, and I say olden days, it's not like it was that long ago. So, um, back in 2010, <laughs> you know, I mean, I started, let's see, you know, uh, what a little over 15 years ago in TV and then right around what, 20 years ago in radio. So, um, I don't consider those really that long ago, that long ago. um, yeah. but I mean, you know, the, the business really changes a lot. I mean, back then everything was still done on tape and nowadays everything's done, um, you know, shot on cards. Yeah. So, but but I would tell students you really want to have, you know, ideally try to get some kind of internship um, or while they're in college, if not an internship, they can get a part-time job at one of the stations yeah. just as a camera operator or something. Um, that's that's a great experience. And the cool thing about a job is you get paid for it. Yeah. <laughs> Most internships, you don't get paid for it. So um, if you could just get a job, that really gets your foot in the door and looks really great on your resume. Plus you may work your way up and once you graduate, they may want you to, you know, come on full time. Yeah. So, um, so that I would definitely recommend, um, make sure that, you know, for those of you that are in college, I recommend this to the students, um, to pay really, truly pay attention to what you're being taught. I know that sounds obvious, but (laughs) what I mean by it is grades will come Grades will come. Yeah. Pay attention to the material first, and the grades will follow. 
Yeah. Nope. That was the other day I was taking notes down for everything. And somebody next to me was like, well, you just, it's, you can take the test quite, twice. Just figure out those answers. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, I need to know all this. Yeah, you need to know this information. <laughs> yeah. The point of you taking this course is so that you will leave here with the information. And you don't want to walk into your first job and they tell you, hey, grab that lavalier microphone for me. And you're like, huh? <laughs> Yeah. You know, I mean, and that, of course, that's just a simple one. Or you go into your first job and they're like, hey, we need you to shoot, shoot a Vosot. And you're like, I don't know what that I is. I have no idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Likely, if you don't know any of that stuff, you won't make it past the interview. But if you yeah. did, you're going to have hard times in front of you. So, um, you know, when you're going to, yeah, when you're going to classes, it's not just about, oh, how can I finish this assignment and just get knocked out? No, you need to be doing that assignment and paying attention and learning from that assignment. You know, um, when I design the lessons in my courses and the assignments in my courses, I do so because I want you to learn a particular thing from those assignments. And so, you know, it's not just keeping you busy. It's because, okay, I have, you know, certain objectives that I want, want you to walk away, um, learning. And, and so, yeah, pay attention to your classes and, um, and do the assignments and pay attention and the grades will follow. Um, you know, that's the, it's not, it's not just about finishing stuff and getting a grade. It's, it's yeah. about learning you're, you're material need this later. We're going to just... need this later. Yeah. The grades will follow. I promise the grades will follow. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, where do you think the future of the media industry is going? Cause I've got some opinions on it. I'd like to hear what you have to yeah, this is dangerous, though, because, um, <laughs> you know, there have been so many predictions about what would, what would happen to media, you know, yeah. that, that fail. You know, for instance, uh, you know, people have been calling for the, the death of radio since television yeah. uh, came about. But um, that being said, obviously digital, um, <clears throat> streaming across the web, that's, that's the that's future. That's given, yeah. Um, now, you know... Um, I think you'll still see, you know, traditional radio and TV stations. I really do. Yeah. Um, now, the way that people get the signal may be different. You know, they may not get it through cable or get it through some an, uh, antenna ears, uh, rabbit ear antennas or whatever. Um, but I think that you will still have live local content being delivered to an audience. Yeah. And uh, I think there's no replacing that. I guess I was thinking more like... I just think that the 24-hour news cycle is honestly just so detrimental to everybody. And I feel like long-form podcasts are kind of taking the place of that. Because the the thing is, the way they produce them, I, I don't feel like they've really evolved since you had, you know, this limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, honestly, like... You know, you've got 24 hours of news. I think you can have a 30-minute interview with somebody, whether or not they'll actually do that. But I think that's why you see podcasts becoming so popular is because you can have an interview with a politician or, you know, whoever, and you actually can get a sense of what they're saying instead of... Because, I mean, if you watch the political debates, it's all about getting the sound bites. Sound bites, yeah. Yeah, it's not about the actual idea. It's this person said this or, you know. Yeah, so and, yeah, yeah, you're kind of taking a, 
I, I tend to focus a lot on local, but you're kind yeah. of looking at that national level. You know, what's great about what you're saying there is you're kind of talking about a resurgence of radio because podcasts yeah. are audio. Yeah. They're just radio that doesn't go out over an antenna. They're coming to you digitally, you know, yeah. through the internet, um, which is great. We're kind of seeing audio media kind of making a comeback. I think the thing, too, is because it is so mobile that, I mean, I can listen to Joe Rogan talk for 30 minutes, you know, mm -hmm. or not 30, three hours <laughs> while I'm doing something else. You know, I, if it's something where not all of my attention has to be focused, I can cook dinner clean the house, whatever, while listening to a three-hour deal, you know. And it's not just, you know, talk shows like that. You know, we're kind of seeing the audio drama come back. Yeah, for instance, I listened to a podcast um, called Blackout, and it stars Rami Malek, and uh, he's the guy from Mr. Robot. Oh, okay, and, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an audio drama. It's kind of post-apocalyptic, and really fun podcast to listen to. I mean, yeah. it's the sound design on it's amazing. Um, you know, and I listen to also a lot of, I get into some of the, the, uh, the horror and science fiction, yeah. uh, podcasts. And so there's one called the black tapes, um, that's that, that I enjoy. Um, so there's just so much audio content now being produced. Um, and so, you know, um, I mean that, that that's really was incredible too because like with podcasts you have so much you have entertainment through all the different genres. I mean I listen to automotive history, you know, world history, politics, whatever. You know, you can absorb all these different ideas, and it's it. There's not as much gatekeeping besides that there are. It is saturated at this point, and you do have established podcasts, but. I, d I just feel like that's sort of the future of uh, media, how we're going. I, I, I feel like people are tired with mainstream news. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely on-demand content, yeah. you know, is um, – that's going to be huge. Um, and, and maybe what we'll see – again, I, I try not to make too many predictions because, you know, inevitably I'm going to be wrong. <laughs> Five but, years from now, yeah. you're going to get called into the dean's office. Well, you, I mean. <laughs> you predicted this completely, completely wrong. Um, but, you know, I wonder, you know, how much of we'll see kind of at the national level more and more of that national stuff being all on demand. Yeah. And then maybe um, – you know, the live stuff is really limited to the local stuff or sports and things like yeah. that, you know, um, because, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that happens, especially in cable news. Yeah. That doesn't have to be live. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> they can they can listen to that in a podcast yeah. or yeah. Uh, or or watch it, you know, on YouTube. I, I think, too, it does lead to partisanship, you know, when you have to have 24 hours mm -hmm. in if you're going to get views, you got to lean one way or the other. And it's got to be more extreme as you go on. And that's why we have Fox News over here and CNN over on the other side just well, yeah, <laughs> telling I mean, talking about two completely different events, <laughs> two different here. two different realities. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's, it's a different reality. Um yeah, the you know, cable, I mean, that's the one thing about cable news is they're trying to fill 24 hours. And yeah. there's not really 24 hours of news necessarily. Yeah. So they got to find something to scream about. So, 
Basically. Well, well I mean, if, if you watch any of those for more than an hour, then you go to the next show and it's the same story yeah. <laughs> again. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So let's talk about uh, you're trying to get your doctorate at this point. Well, I so. was. I've taken some time off from the doctorate, um, but I was I was doing that. And it was um, and my research focused on something that's kind of related to what we're talking about, the hostile media effect, which I find rather interesting. Um, I will try to summarize it very quickly um, or, or very succinctly so that I don't get caught in the weeds and get into all the. Um, the variables that come into play. Um, but essentially... Is this paper published <laughs> in... <laughs> so essentially the hostile media effect... So we all know about media bias. And there's tons of studies being done on media bias. Everybody and their mom is doing a study on media yeah. bias. So it's like, why go into that research area? When, Every me- media biased uh, I mean, it's, it, news network is talking about media yeah, bias. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's been, it's been done. So... yeah. Um, what I was interested in is, well, what about the audience's bias? And so the hostile media effect is actually how does the audience's bias affect their perception of media? Yeah. Um, and so the hostile media effect essentially is is called a um, an audience uh, – it's a biased perception of media. And actually the original article – I wrote it down because I'm always terrible about quoting the, the original <laughs> article. The very first article that addressed it was from 1985, and it's called The Hostile Media Phenomenon, Biased Perception and Perceptions of Media Bias in Coverage <laughs> of the Beirut Massacre. So um, so it's got bias twice in the t- title. Yeah. So it is biased perception of, of bias, bias. <laughs> and which is really interesting to me. Um, and so what it suggests, uh, you know, what I like about it, one, is that the – the claims of media bias, it's it's bi-directional. It's not just – certainly, yes, there are biased yeah. media, but there is also biased audience. Mm-hmm. And there is a relationship between those two things. Um, but what's really kind of cool about the hostile media effect is also it allow the research in this area allows us to kind of quantify and make predictions as well. Um, so because it's a – you know, has a social scientific basis, it's – studied quantitatively rather than qualitatively. Um, so f- uh, to kind of summarize it down to it's just its basic components without getting into some of the the uh, um, psychological variables that may or may not be, you know, uh, causing it. Um, basically what we see is, and this is going to sound obvious as soon as I say it, but the <laughs> cool thing is it's measurable and yeah. you can use it to make predictions. So... Um, the more biased an audience member is, the more likely they will be to perceive bias <laughs> when none may exist. Yeah. And so what I mean by that, because you're going to say, well, you know, none may exist. So how do you know that the, the, the media message doesn't have any bias? Well, first of all, honestly, it would be very next to impossible to have a truly quote-unquote unbiased Unbiased. media product i mean that's a longer philosophical discussion than i think we have time for but um, we need (laughs) we need some blind people in caves (laughs) who have never seen the world um so basically what you do um is you take a a media product um and usually what you want to do because you're trying to narrow down your variables Um, because you don't want to have any confounding variables. Mm -hmm. So you essentially, you find um, a media product reporting on some individual issue. Usually you want to find something controversial. In this case, in the very first study, 
Um, in 85, they did the Beirut Massacre. And so they used television coverage of the Beirut Massacre. Um, this television coverage was watched by people who were relatively nonpartisan, meaning they did not have strong opinions one way or the other. Yeah. And those people rated it as unbiased. So an, a nonpartisan audience rated the news coverage as unbiased. So that's kind of as close as we can get to saying, okay, it's relatively in the middle. Yeah. And so then what you do is then you um, display that exact same media coverage to biased audiences. You know, one yeah. that is on one side and one that is in the completely opposite, opposite side. side. Yeah. So so for the the uh, uh, Beirut massacre, you know, uh, pro-Israelis and pro-Arabs yeah. and have them watch that coverage. And the, you know, kind of interesting thing, again, it's not necessarily surprising, but it's measurable. And, you know, the folks that are watching it that are pro-Israeli, they think the, the, the coverage is biased against Israel. They think it is very hostile towards Israel. And the folks that are pro-Arab, they think that it's hostile toward Arabs. So they both perceive bias from the exact same coverage, just in the opposite directions. Yeah. Which is, I think, kind of interesting, kind of cool, you know. Um, what, what would your theory be to why that is? Is it just our natural tendency to tribalism or? There's a lot of different um, things that I think come into play. One thing that was kind of initially noted in the first study um, is that a lot of times folks are concerned about how other people will be influenced. So they're kind of thinking about a third party. so That doesn't really exist. That may, may or may not <laughs> yeah. really exist. And they're worried about how a third party might be influenced by this coverage. So it's kind of the third man effect. Third, like, yeah. yeah. Third person effect, um, which the third person effect like, is more. I, I, that, I'm, not, I'm not swayed by this, but we need to protect Jimmy yeah, over here. Exactly. you got to protect all these other people from being swayed the wrong direction. Yeah. And so they end up focusing on only the negative aspects of the coverage. And they don't focus on any of the positive aspects of the coverage, yeah. Um, which is interesting because that kind of flies in the face of confirmation bias in psychology. So confirmation bias is a tendency for people to um, find things that they agree with to support yeah. support them. Uh, and so they'll, for instance, a person might read a, um, a scientific study or something like that, and they'll pick out parts that that they like. Yeah. That that support their position or their opinion, and then ignore the stuff that is opposite. Yeah. So hostile media effects go, goes the other way. They pay attention to the negative stuff and dismiss the positive stuff. And so I, I kind of find that interesting. But I think that third person effect is a little part of it because they're worried yeah. about other people being influenced. Do Do you think? Because I've I've heard this. You know, like negative emotion is much more stronger because, like, from a su survival standpoint you know it's like i can only be so happy or i could be dead <laughs> you know so do you think it's that where it's like this negative stuff is more of a threat than this positive stuff is i don't know a compliment to my beliefs <laughs> I, th I think there's certainly you know that threat component to it is, is a part of it and of course, as you mentioned a moment ago, um, there's also the in-group part of it. So it's a threat yeah. not just to them personally, but it's a threat to their in-group. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, but again, it's it's something that, that has to do with the, the way the message is presented. 
it's sort of like uh, Marshall McLuhan said, the medium is the message. Well, um, the hostile media effect is kind of the ultimate example of that because in another experiment, um, they used material, presented it to an audience as a newspaper article. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they photoshopped it, made it look like it was a newspaper article. And they saw the hostile media effect. You know, the people thought it was biased against their, you know, particular group. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the exact same information presented as a student paper, exact same words, everything. Nothing changed other than the layout. It's printed to look like a student paper. Yeah. They saw confirmation bias. Hmm. So they saw opposite directions. In terms in of term. the 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 information that people focus, focused on, just based upon how it was presented, and I thought I think that's, that's really cool. That's really interesting. That is interesting. I know a, a lot of people I tell this to. They're just like <laughs> my wife, for instance. I'll tell her this stuff, and she's like, "So." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, I I, I love this stuff. It's so. No, cool. there's something about people I just figured out. <laughs> Well, I didn't figure it out. Somebody else Somebody did. Somebody I just heard about it. <laughs> I, I read the study. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's you know really what I find interesting is is again the medium. In this case, I think that what comes into play is that third person effect because mm-hmm. you know when they know it's a newspaper, oh, other people are going to read this. Yeah. You know, an article or a, a paper written by a student, nobody else is going to read this. They don't have to. They're not worried about. There's no threat. Yeah. To their end group. I do feel like uh, like media and a lot of po- political stuff nowadays, which, I mean, I wasn't around before, so it may have been the same thing. But you do have that third-person effect where it's like, well, we didn't give out this information because people might have the wrong idea about it or something like that. Like, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of a recent example. But, but there was like, uh, it was at the beginning of the pandemic – just if it is like, oh, well, we knew this information, but we didn't want to give it out because people would panic and do the wrong thing. Right. Instead yeah. of just being like trusting people, it's this third person effect of we, we have to control this information because these other people, like we know how to handle it, but these other people won't understand it like I do. Kind of this gatekeeping, you know. And that third party effect, I mean, that is obviously that's. Um, been studied extensively in media, you know, where we we feel like we are sort of immune to being influenced by media, yeah. um, but we think kind of people that are different from us, people in the out group, um, yeah. are are they're the ones that are influenced by media. So it's like you know, I don't buy products because I see ads. I'm not affected by yeah. advertising. Yeah. It's those people. I'm, I'm not a consumer. <laughs> I just particularly like Coca Cola. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I just like uh, GMC trucks, or I just like, yeah. you know, Subarus. I so I don't buy into all of that. I just I just drive a Mercedes. <laughs> you know, I, I look back to, um, especially as a child, and I look back to the things that, that I thought, you know, I needed or were important when I was a child, and a lot of it is attributable to um, advertising. And yeah. I just look back now, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, boy, I really was <laughs> – very susceptible to advertising yeah. when I was a child. They had this ice cream called Vianetta when I was uh, a kid, and it was supposed to be this fancy ice cream. By the way, so apparently, one of those, like vanilla chocolate covered it's, bars or something. No, it's it's like a it's like a chocolate or sorry, it's a vanilla. Um, I don't know how to describe it other than it's like a vanilla 
layered ice cream cake thing. And it's got like hard chocolate in various layers and stuff like that. Yeah. And the way they advertised it back then, it was, you know, so fancy and sophisticated. <laughs> and it was like the epitome of, you know, ice cream. Yeah. And so, you know, um, all us kids like had to have it. <laughs> It's like the greatest thing in the world. And now it doesn't even exist anymore. Although yeah. I did see an article, if it's true, that they're going to try to bring it back. <laughs> that would be interesting. But anyways, I believe it's called Vianetta. Yeah. And so any, gonna anybody... going to try to ride that nostalgia train that's coming on to 30-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, well, and, well, they're they're doing it with everything else. You know, yeah. they're coming out with shows to, to try to tap into that and uh, bringing back products and stuff. What pro- I saw a product the other day on, on Amazon that they we're bringing back and I was very surprised by, but I'll, I can't remember it. So I'm not going to dwell on it. Yeah. But, uh, well, I think we've exhausted all that we can talk about. Uh, we've only been going for almost 30, 40 minutes now. So, uh, thank you for coming on. I think this was a great interview and, uh, I'll see you around the college. Okay. Uh, happy to be here. And uh, Anything you want to plug? <laughs> um, I would say come and uh, become a mass communication major here at TJC. We have three majors, advertising, public relations, journalism, mass communication, and radio, television, broadcasting. I would love to change the name of the radio, television, broadcasting major to something more contemporary, like converged media or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of limited by, by what the state will uh, let me name it. So, um, no offense. Dear to, great, no, super awesome <laughs> communication class. No, no offense to the state or anything, but I would love to change the name of our major to make it more contemporary and represent what we actually do. Yeah. Because um, we do so much digital work. But, but yeah, I mean, I've had nothing but great experiences in this department, and uh, there's nothing where I've felt like. I've been wasting my time here. That's that's great. That's good to hear. Thank you so much. Um, You know, um, we really enjoy it, and we try to make sure that our our information and content is relevant and um, is making, you know, sure the students are getting good skills that they can go and apply on the job someday. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you.